0: and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90 Min football family. On this episode, we're going to discuss Arsenal's upcoming clash with FC Porto. We'll talk about Arsenal's record in the round of 16. We'll give you the download on our opponents. We'll also talk about why this season in Europe could be different we'll talk arteta's starting 11 we'll predict how this one might go and we'll take your questions and thoughts from the live chat all of that to come on this episode of the chronicles of aguna live hey everybody how's it going hope you're all good hope you're all well welcome back to another live edition of the podcast, streaming to you live right now via YouTube. If you're watching this back on replay, a big hello to you too. And of course, if you're listening to us on the various audio platforms, hello to you too. I just want to say a big thanks before we dive right into it to all of those that have come over and given me a follow on TikTok. I'm trying to be down with the kids. And um, I set up a TikTok account a while back hardly really used it, but I've kind of got into the swing of things over the last month or so. And I hit 6,000 followers yesterday, which for me, considering I'm not really a core cool cat and probably don't belong on TikTok, um, it is, is really, really good. I'd love to get to 10k by the end of the season. So if you are a TikTok user, uh, go over to the app, have a little search at Harry Simu, pretty simple, pretty easy. And you'll find lots of content from this very podcast right there. Uh, Some of it condensed. There is some TikTok specific content as well. So there's bits and pieces that you might not get here on the YouTube channel or on the podcast. Uh, So uh, yeah, if you give me a follow, I'd really, really appreciate it. Lots of you joining me this morning. I sense an excitement in the air with Arsenal uh, returning to Champions League action, but also given that this is the first time Arsenal are in the round of 16 in the UEFA Champions League since the 2016-2017 season. Wow, when you say it like that, it's crazy, isn't it? This is too big a football club to not be in the latter stages of this great competition. This is a club that belongs at Europe's top table, and it feels like in the last year and a half, we've taken significant steps towards making that a reality again. But to an extent and to a degree, Yes, performing in the Premier League is great, but you need to go and do it on the continental stage to earn the respect of your fellow European clubs. So I'd love to see Arsenal go all the way in the Champions League this season. I actually do have a feeling that this year could be different um, and, and could be the year. I don't want to get carried away, but we'll get on to why that is the case for me uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. But I do want to say a few hellos uh, before we dip right into it. Uh, a big hello to Matt, who joins us from Chicago. We've got Norman, who joins us from Kingston in Jamaica. Lovely place, uh, lovely part of the world. Uh, we've got Mohammed, who joins us in the live chat as well. And he's put some great questions in, which we'll uh, address a little bit later on Uh, in the show. Uh, We've also got Afsar with us, who's uh, saying good morning, Harry and fellow Gooners. He says, play the same team. If it ain't broken, don't fix it. We've got the Canterbury Gooner with us. Uh, We've got Tamina Junior uh, and Dr. Pepper, who joins us uh, from uh, Perth, uh, Western Australia, says uh, he's excited for the UEFA Champions League. It's going to be knackered at work this week. Yeah, the time difference must be a real uh, pain in the backside for you guys down under. Um, But great to see you in the live chat, mate. Really, really appreciate you joining us. Okay, so I think we should start off by having a look at Arsenal's history in the round of 16. I'm not going to go back too far, but for seven years between the 2010-2011 season, and the 2016-2017 season, which was the last season that we were in the Champions League, we repeatedly fell at the round of 16. At that point, given the financial situation pertaining to the Emirates Stadium, it was imperative from a business perspective that we made the competition and then the knockout face, but we were nowhere near as competitive as we'd have liked. And there was a big frustration among Arsenal fans at that point because it was like, well, We're going to qualify for this competition year after year after year, obviously, until we didn't. Um, And that is good enough in the eyes of the club. But as fans, we wanted more. We wanted to be competitive when we got into the round of 16. And my kind of memory of it was that we were just really, really poor and really, really weak. And actually, the record that we had, and and given the teams that we come up against, It wasn't a million miles off of being where it should have been. And I don't think I realized that at that point. What I'm saying is that there were a lot of narrow defeats along the way to the Barcelonas, the Bayerns, the AC Milans, uh, the Monacos, et cetera, et cetera. But at the time, it felt like the end of the world. But actually, when you flip it and not flip it, but when you go back through it with a fine tooth comb, I'm not saying we were good enough or that it was acceptable, but we weren't as far off where we wanted to be. Um, as it kind of felt at the time. So if we go back and have a look um, at, at that period between 2010-2011 and the 2016-17 uh, season, which was our last in the Champions League, things weren't actually um, that that bad, I guess. So I'll look at some of those. We'll pick out some of those um, those uh, sort of uh, those results and those, those matches and, and we'll try and make a bit of sense of it, I guess. Um, But let's start with the 2010-2011 season. We were beaten by Barcelona 4-3 on aggregate, despite winning 2-1 at Emirates Stadium. So not a million miles off of what was probably the best team in the world at that point, I would argue, or certainly one of them. In the 2011-2012 season, we lost 4-3 on aggregate, to Milan. We were battered at the San Siro in the first leg, if you remember that. But we won 3-0 at Emirates in the reverse fixture. We were 3-0 up at half time, And I remember being inside the stadium that day and thinking, my God, we could pull off the impossible hit. You know, in my head, it was, if we can get a couple in the first half, we'll be right bang in this. So you could imagine how I was feeling when we were three goals to the good at that point. But of course, uh, we weren't able Um, to go on and and turn the game around completely if you move it on to 2012 2013 uh, we drew 3-3 with Bayern Munich on aggregate we lost on away goals because we were beaten 3-1 at home we then went and won 2-0 away at Bayern Munich which is not to be sniffed at but of course that wasn't enough because Bayern had scored three on their travels guess who we drew in the round of 16 this season after that yep you've guessed it Bayern Munich we lost 3-1 on aggregate this time we were beaten 2-0 at the Emirates Stadium and uh, we drew 1-1 in Munich now although the big Champions League ties are are ultimately what you follow your club for you know you you're in the Champions League and part of the buzz of it is that you get to see your team pit their wits against the very very best that's the appeal of the competition for me as a fan plus obviously there's a whole lot of glory uh, that you can get um at the end of it, if you go on and, and win the thing. But I would got to that point then by 2013, 2014, where I was sick and tired of the Barca's, of the Bayerns, of the Milan's. I just wanted a draw that looked winnable. I just wanted a draw in which, you know, we stood a really, really good chance. And maybe we could kind of break that hoodoo of getting stuck. It'd been one, two, three, four seasons where we kept falling at that same hurdle. And in 2014 2015, we drew Monaco, and surely, surely, we were going to have enough to get past them. Nope, Um, we lost 3-1 at the Emirates Stadium, and we won 2-0 in the away leg. So it was a 3-3 draw on aggregate, but Monaco had scored three away goals. We'd only managed the two, and so they went through. And it was a classic example of of what had been the problem, really, um, throughout that period of not turning up in the first leg and then giving ourselves a mountain to climb in the second leg, actually doing quite well in the second legs more often than not, but not being able to turn around what felt like an impossible margin at that time. The reason the Monaco one really, really hurt was because when you look at the draws that we had prior to that, Barcelona, Milan, who were much better than they are today, Bayern, Bayern again, you, you, you kind of looked at it and you went, well, we've had a bit of luck here with the draw. We've been really unlucky with the draw in the years building up to this now we've had a bit of luck aside that we should in theory be better than and more than capable of progressing past and we hit a brick wall and i remember the most frustrating thing for me personally um, with this tie being we were 2-1 down in the home game right and late on in the game we went gung-ho to try and make it 2-2 and we got caught on the counter-attack and Monaco added a third, which ultimately was what took the tie beyond us. And although I understand why you want to get a positive result at home and you want to try and, um, you know, and, and get yourself back in the game, I'd have backed us to go and beat Monaco um, and score a couple of goals in Monaco, which we went on to do in the second leg. But to concede that third goal was devastating and even at the time, even before the second leg had been played, I remember thinking, My God, that is a major, major blow. And how naive are we, you know, that we've allowed that to happen. The away goals was obviously a big thing. And obviously, that no longer comes into play in the UEFA Champions League and in European competition in general, which changes the landscape of these ties and, and changes the way that you approach these games, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it was just I always remember end period of that game where we were 2-1 down and you were like, this is obviously not a good result, but it's not one that's impossible to recover from. But when Monaco went down the other end and got the third, nicking the ball back and counter-attacking on us, it just felt so incredibly frustrating. And I'll always remember that feeling. After that, um, we uh, we moved into uh, the 15-16 season. Um, have I got that right? Anyway, the fourteen fifteen exit exit um, cut really, really deep and it felt even worse um, when we then went on uh, to play Barcelona the next year. And this time we were no match for them. We lost 2-0 at Emirates and they were comfortably, uh, then they, we were comfortably beaten 3-1 away, I beg your pardon. Um, and it was 5-1 on aggregate that time. Uh, so yeah, look, it's not, Getting myself confused with the years now. There's so many of them. Um, But basically, the point I'm making is that for a seven-year period from the 2010-11 season, 2011-12, 2012-13, 2013-14, 2014-15, 2015-16, and 2016-17, we just couldn't get over the line in the round of 16, and we had some difficult draws along the way. But aside of our quality and a club of our size should have been doing better. And, you know, I'm sure there are some moments that I've maybe missed there along the way that maybe I've blocked out of my mind subconsciously. But the the point is, is that this has been a problem round for us for a little while. Let's come on to the game uh, that we uh, are playing, of course, this time around. And then we'll talk a little bit about why I think actually this season could be different. Porto sit third in the Portuguese top flight at the moment. They're seven points behind Benfica. Arsenal have drawn Porto three times before, winning all three home matches without conceding a single goal. But the Gunners have never beaten the Portuguese outfit away. We've drawn once and lost twice. That's according to Orbinio. But if I bring up Barcelona, I say Barcelona, Porto's Champions League group, they were in the same group as Barcelona, incidentally. Actually, they were pretty impressive. Now, I got to say, I went out to the Estadio Dragal uh, for the game between Porto and Barcelona for work. And I really enjoyed my experience. It's a really incredible place to watch football. And I'm sure all the Arsenal fans that have made the trip over to Northern Portugal are going to really, really enjoy themselves uh, in the coming days, result permitting, of course. But I remember watching Porto that day. They lost 1-0 to Barcelona and I wasn't all that impressed with them, I have to say. And I think that was the second round of matches. But after that, they seemed to really kind of pick up and they seemed um, to, to get some important victories along the way. They scored 15 goals in the group stage, conceded eight goals in six games. The goal difference was plus seven, but they put 12 points on the board, the same as Barcelona. And the only reason uh, they didn't top the group was because of that head-to-head record. Now, Shakhtar, Donetsk were also in that group a side that, you know, are going to struggle at the minute because they're just not playing at home. You know, you go away to Shakhtar, you're not actually going to Shakhtar, um, you know, and and they've got their own difficulties because of the the kind of political landscape and the war uh, that continues in in Ukraine. Antwerp were in the group. I mean, not a very good side. I'm not going to, Place too much value in Porto's results against uh, Royal Antwerp. Uh, they finished bottom of the group. They only managed to pick up three points. They won one game and lost the other five. But Porto went through level on points with Barcelona and had a really, really good group stage by their standards. I think people would have made them the second favourite in that group. So it's not like a major shock, but I think people maybe looked at Shakhtar and thought they could spring a surprise. Maybe because of what Shakhtar have done in European competition in the years gone by. But I think actually if you dived into this group at the time thoroughly and properly and you factored in all of the things I've mentioned about Shakhtar and the situation they find themselves in, then I don't think it's a surprise at all actually that Porto went through. So it's not a massive major achievement given the group that they were in, but they've still achieved what was expected of them and you should never, of course, uh, ignore that or write that off. Why do I think this season could be different for Arsenal in the Champions League? I mentioned all the difficult draws we had in the round of 16 uh, during our last stint in the competition. I mentioned the Monaco tie as a bit of an outlier because that was one that we all felt going into we probably should win. That didn't happen. But that proves something. That proves that in the Champions League, there are no givens. This is a really, really difficult competition where if you make it through to the knockout stages, you're there because you're a decent standard side. You're there on merit. And we have to take every opponent seriously. And I'm not saying for a second that Arsenal fans, Arsenal players, Arsenal management should be getting carried away. But when I go back through that period of time and I talk about the draws and the ties with Barcelona and Bayern and Milan, who were a really, really good side at that point, and Bayern again and Barcelona again, I never at any point really genuinely felt that Arsenal were good enough to compete with those sides over the course of two legs. We proved that in one off games we could compete and we could pick up positive results, but the damage more often than not had been done in the first leg. This time, I really do genuinely feel like Arsenal are good enough to push anybody in this competition, even over two legs. There's one team in this competition that I really, really fear. That is Manchester City, because we know how good they are. And in a two legged affair, you know, you'd probably still just about make them favourites. But everybody else is beatable. Arsenal are performing at such a level right now. And it feels like we're peaking at the right point in the season, whereby I don't think we have any reason to fear even your Real Madrid's, even your Bayern Munich's, who at the time of recording this are having a difficult time at this moment in time. So I think there is so, so much potential in this Arsenal side. What worries me is that there is a lack of experience Um on the European stage. Okay, we've got some players in the group that have been there. Done it, Kai Havertz, Champions League winners. Gabriel Jesus has played in the latter stages of the competition, as is Oleksandr Zinchenko. I'm not saying we don't have uh, the the quality of player or any players, in fact, that have been um, in the, the the deep stages of this competition. But, you know, Mikel Arteta's record in Europe is, is one of the things that if I were carrying out an assessment of his time at Arsenal so far, I'd be slightly critical of, not in the Champions League, obviously, but in the Europa League, where I thought at times we could have gone further, should have gone further. We didn't. And we got out out thought and outclassed at times. And that really shouldn't have happened. But this time around, I look at it and I genuinely only really fear Manchester City. Do I fear Real Madrid? A bit. Of course, Real Madrid are um, football heritage when it comes to the UEFA Champions League. They are the GOATs. But I still look at their squad and I look at ours and I think we can compete with them, um, even over two legs. City are the ones for me. But given it's just one side that I'm massively fearful of and that this is a cup competition, a knockout competition and that anything can happen, why shouldn't I believe that this could be Arsenal's year in the UEFA Champions League? Let me know uh, what you guys think in the live chat and we'll come to your comments in just a mo. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to or watching depending on where you join us from the Chronicles of Aguna podcast let's take some of your comments and then we'll we'll talk a little bit more um, about FC uh, Porto um, William John says uh, Arsenal for life thanks for this program I really enjoy it uh, keep it up one love thank you mate Thank you for joining me. Uh, really, really do appreciate it. Jeff says, not having a top striker will cost us, uh, but Partey and Timber coming back, if they stay fit, will no doubt help us. Um, Chan says that the issue during that period that we've discussed was that the performances in the group stages always left us with the tough ties. That's true as well. We were also unlucky with the jaws, though, as well, man. Like, there were there were so many other ties we could have got, and we seemed to always land with the big boy. Um, yeah. Uh, Max says, I uh, can't believe I finally managed to get on a live religiously listen on Spotify up the Arsenal. Thank you for the content, Harry. Thank you, Max, uh, for joining me, mate. Really, really do appreciate it. And um, as always, uh, big love to all our Spotify and Apple podcast listeners, because um, you guys are just as loyal and, and just as regular in terms of how often you uh, tune in. It's just that on YouTube, I see names and I, I end up uh, recognising them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Andrew B says, uh, we're well equipped for the UEFA Champions League. We don't give up many chances at all. We're on fire in attack. And I think that the general standard in Europe is much lower than the Prem. How about a big Gabby winner at Wembley? Oh, man, don't, don't. Um, what else have we got? Odradek fears uh, Inter and Atleti too. Hopefully they're playing each other. <laughs> they are playing each other. Um, In this round, I I think Inter are a team that you need to watch out for. I think if I were ranking the the Champions League favourites now going into our tie tomorrow, for me, Man City are the number one. Us and Real Madrid are in joint second. And then Inter are third for me. They've got the experience of having been to the final last season. I think they're a really good cup team under Simone Inzaghi, and it looks like they're going to have the Serie A title wrapped up pretty early this season, which means that focus can shift to the UEFA Champions League, and that makes them even more dangerous, uh, in my opinion. Crafty says Real Madrid uh, are always a threat. Squad and team does not even come into it. Of course, they're a threat, yeah. Um. When I say that I'm not massively fearful of These sides, I'm not saying that they're no good and I'm not writing them off and I'm not saying, well, Arsenal have a divine right to win the Champions League. What I am saying is that actually. I would back us that if we play close to our maximum. We have enough in our locker to overcome these teams. Saying you can beat someone is very different to saying you will beat someone. I'm well aware it's a cup competition and I'm well aware things can go horribly wrong or things can go um, brilliantly right. Like it's just the nature of football, right? That's the, the beauty of uh, of cup football. I want to talk a little bit about FC Porto. Um, we've, we've discussed the fact that they sit third in the Portuguese top flight, seven points behind Benfica. Um, but I wanted to focus on a couple of players that I think we we probably ought to look out for. Now, I, I haven't seen the Porto team news at the time of recording. The press conferences are taking place today, so maybe that will become clearer after this episode goes out. But someone that jumps off the page to me is obviously uh, their uh, striker, Evan Nielsen, who has 19 goals in 27 appearances this season, that's really, really impressive. Galeno is a winger that Arsenal really uh, need to watch out for. He's got eight goals and nine assists this season. Pepe is a winger who's a, a real provider for this Porto side. He's got seven assists, a couple of goals. And of course, Mehdi is back in the picture, having been away at the Asian Cup with Iran. He is back um, in the mix. He's been back for a couple of games now. One he started and one he came on um, as a substitute. Porto are one of those teams, right, that are capable of turning it on, that have the quality to hurt you, that are very streetwise in European competition, not because they always go far these days, but because it's something that they have a real experience of. And as I mentioned earlier, I keep going on about it, but I think. I'm in a good position to provide some insight as to what we will face in terms of atmosphere, surroundings, environment when we go to the drag out. It is an incredible place to watch football. Incredibly lively crowd, cracking atmosphere. The stadium will be full up from very, very early on. Um, And I think that Porto will be looking at this as, you know, a a huge occasion given that I think we've got to this point in European football where the Premier League has kind of Accelerated away from everybody else so that when these sides then face Premier League opposition, it's kind of like, well, A, there's a place in the last eight of Europe's Premier competition up for grabs, which makes it um, a really kind of, um, you know, a really kind of big game for us. But B, there's almost this kind of attitude of, well, we want to prove to the Premier League fans, to those that say that the Premier League, like myself, is, is ahead of everybody else. We want to prove to those guys that actually we can compete and that although we don't have the financial muscle or the TV revenues uh, that come in from the Premier League, you know, we can compete because we're well coached and we have some very, very talented players. Some of you telling me in the live chat that Mehdi Taremi is unavailable, um, which is obviously good uh, because he's one of the players that I highlighted. As I say, I haven't seen at any press conferences yet because they haven't taken place at the time of recording. But yeah, I think there's an added incentive for the European clubs when it comes to facing Premier League opposition. The noise that they generate inside that place is incredible. And Porto, from what I know about them, will not not sit back out of choice. I think there will be points in the game where they will have to drop off and have to accept that they're not going to have it all their own way, even at home. Our players are going to be met with whistles when we're enjoying spells of possession, which I expect to happen. And we're going to have to stay switched on on all occasions. A good example of what can happen when you don't, um, you know, when you don't turn up to a game like this is what happened to us out in Lons. You know, that was a game that we took the lead in. We all thought we were going to win, and we ended up getting beaten and we ended up, you know, crashing and burning essentially. Uh, because, you know, a combination of things. We weren't at our best. Lawns had upped it because Arsenal oh, were in town. And the atmosphere that night was just superb. It, it really, really was. And I think that that got to us. I don't think we expected that going to the Stade Bolaire as a group of players. I'm not saying that the management weren't all over it, but I think it just caught us a little bit off guard. And in the knockout stages of a competition, you ain't going to get the same time and the same opportunity to try and turn it around, so you can't afford to have those nights where you don't turn up. Look, we lost in Lons, but we were able to then turn it around. Um, you know, be, be over the course of the remainder of the group stage, and and that is why knockout football is very very different, and you have to be very very aware uh, of these things and and make sure that you you guard against them. We're going to take a really really short pause. When I come back, we're going to discuss the starting eleven because. I would make one change to the start in 11. And I know that people are saying, you know, the team's in great form at the moment. If it's not broke, uh, don't fix it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh, yeah, let's um, let's uh, let's have a look at uh, at the side. OK, or the side that I would pick. Sorry, got distracted by a message coming through on my phone. How? awfully unprofessional of me, but it came up from our son's school and I thought, oh my God, what's happened? It was one of those uh, like generic texts that they, they probably sent to everyone. So we can, uh, we can ignore that and uh, we can uh, have a short pause. And when we come back, we'll discuss the 11 that I'd go with. You guys can pull it apart in the comments and I'll get your thoughts too. You're listening to the Chronicles of uh, Guna. Right. Welcome back along to the show hope you're all good hope you're all well the side that I would pick then for this game um, is uh, a side that sees one change um, and I'm interested uh, to get you guys' take on this because I-, I actually confidently believe in this change that I'm talking about um, and I'm sure that some of you guys would disagree with it so let's have a quick look so the side I would go with looks like this I'd go with David Raya. In goal. I'd go with a back four of uh, Jakub Kivior at left back. I'd go with Gabriel at centre-back alongside William Saliba and I'd put Ben White in at right back. My midfield would be uh, Declan Rice sitting at the base, Martin Odegaard and Jorginho. That's the change that I'd be making and my front three would consist of Gabriel Martinelli, Bukayo Saka, and Leandro Trossard. Now that might come across as a little bit strange to some of you guys, because I've been talking a lot over the last few days about Kai Havertz and what Kai Havertz has brought to the side. However, I just think for this game, I'd prefer that we have um, possessional control away from home on our travels against a side that are also very, very good at holding the ball and that are going to cause us, um, some problems. So as a result of that, um, you know, I think that we're better off going with Jorginho alongside Declan Rice, because I think that it just gives us that little bit more stability. And it means that if we can have more possession, and I know we've been pretty dominant in possession in other games and all the rest of it, but it, I, I just feel like with this, we have that extra bit of stability. We can protect Jakub Kivior or a little bit more um, who... You know, has has been much improved in recent weeks, but he's still really not a left back, is he? Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really, really big actually on on that change being made. Now that meant that I had to take Kai Havertz out of my starting a lineup, which I didn't really want to do because I think he's been in excellent form. And the other kind of reservation I had about doing that is that I think Leandro Trossard actually, of late, um, who's playing as that force nine has really actually benefited from having Kai Havertz behind him. And the fact that those two interchange positions has actually caused teams a lot of problems. I just think on the big stage away in Europe, you need to be a little bit more conservative. And I just worry about the idea of going to Porto with Rice at the base, Havertz, and then Odegaard in that midfield. I know we've done it at big grounds in the Premier League, but I think we've done it because we haven't really had the choice. And having seen how the Jorginho thing has worked, um, you know, against the likes of Liverpool, I think that um, I think that this is, is the way to go. But feel free to disagree with me. Let me take uh, some of your comments on that um, from uh, the live chat box. Let's have a look at what you guys are saying. Um, Keith Bird says uh, that uh, Mikel Arteta will be saying, play the game, not the moment. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, But it's not always easy to do that, is it? It's not always easy to ignore um, the the occasion. Um, uh, Mikey B says uh, this game will be further evidence of the efficacy of Mikel's methods. Uh, It will be intriguing. Europe will either laugh or stand up after these two legs. Um, N17 Gunner says, uh, wow, he dropped his favourite player of all time, Kai Havertz. Again, like I've said it before, I don't think that Kai Havertz was brought into play as an eight all the time. And we've almost been forced into doing that because Fabio Vieira has been out, because Emile Smith-Rowe struggled for fitness, because Thomas Partey predominantly, that's the main reason, has been out for such large periods this season. Yeah, I mean, Kai Havertz to come off the bench would give us something. We don't really have anything um, else to come off the bench, really. I mean, we don't know if anybody else is going to be back fit. We don't know if Jesus is going to return, for example. Um, Emile Smith-Rowe, you know, you'd say he's an option from the bench. Reece Nelson, but is that really good enough? Some of you would probably argue that actually, if you're going to play Jorginho in midfield, that maybe Trossard is the one. Um, that should come out of the side and Kai Havertz should go up front because that's what worked really well against Liverpool. And I'd I'd subscribe to that as well. But I just think Kai Havertz has played a lot more minutes this season and Trossard is in real irresistible form. I'd say his form is better than Kai Havertz is at this moment in time. So if I'm only going to drop one of them to accommodate Jorginho, that's probably uh, the way I would go. Uh, Paul Gaia says, same team for me. I think Do you mean same team as in the team that beat Burnley or do you mean the same team as mine? Let me know. Uh, Richard says, um, 11, um, I'd go with is the same side we've played with. If Jesus, Tomiasu and Partey are healthy, they'd be the first off the bench. Love Jorginho, but I'd keep the current midfield uh, for continuity. Uh, Moss says, uh, is Tomiyasu still not ready? Not that I know of um, at the time of recording. Uh, he said he'd do the same, uh, bring in Jorginho, but he went Kai up top over Trossard. Crafty says, uh, good team, but I'd put Havertz up top. Okay. Um what else have we got? Uh, Afsar says, if Kivior plays at left back, then do you really need Jorginho in midfield? But yes, if Zinny plays, then I can understand Jorginho playing. White is currently inverting anyway. Yeah, I, I still think that the inversion would come from the right-hand side. But I think having Jorginho drop that little bit deeper and sit alongside Rice, it, it means that Martinelli doesn't have to come back at all. And it means that whoever plays in the centre-forward the, um, the role uh, in order to support with Martinelli can can spend a lot of time drifting that way. And Odegaard can pair up with Saka. And then you kind of have that front four. I know we talked about a front five that Arsenal want yesterday. Um, and I know that in an ideal world, that's what Mikel Arteta would be looking for. But I just think, for me, away from home, on the European stage, in a knockout tie that you can't afford to allow to run away from you, I'd be a little bit more conservative. Now, if you're asking me what I expect Mikel Arteta to do, I expect him to pick the exact same team that we've seen in recent weeks. So I expect it to be Trossard up front and I expect it to be Kai Havertz in midfield. But this is purely what I would do. Um, Manish says uh, Arteta will start with Kai and Trossard will come on later. Um Ian says, uh, our setup in set pieces gives me a little bit more confidence. Set pieces are so very important. So many crucial goals have been scored through this path. We should be ruthless with those actions. Uh, Manish also says, uh, form a side. We need a taller front man at times away at Porto. Uh, Paul then says, uh, same team as you picked. Cool. Thanks for clarifying, my friend. Um. Damien says uh, I can see uh, with the Jorginho change I could see why you'd make the Jorginho change but I would back the same 11 um for the Premier League game against Newcastle interesting we got that to come on Saturday as well haven't we which we really need to look some people will say you need to keep one eye on on that game in the Premier League and and while I would understand that point of view I I don't think you can go into a Champions League knockout tie and have Anything less than hundred percent focus on that game. Newcastle, for me, right now today, isn't even a conversation, and it shouldn't be a conversation until Thursday morning. Come Thursday, the attention shifts, and the full focus will be on hopefully giving Eddie Howe's side the beating that we owe them at the Emirates Stadium. But for now, it, it, you can't be you can't be looking at this one and picking your team based on what is coming on Saturday. Not in my opinion, because we've got too many players out for you to be able to rotate effectively. I really do believe that. I think we can only make one, maybe two changes at the absolute maximum, because we're quite thin at the minute. So this idea of rotating with a view to Saturday, I think would weaken us too much and shouldn't even be considered for a game like this. Okay, in terms of my prediction, I'm going to go for FC Porto 1. Arsenal 2. And I would take that in a heartbeat. Uh, Some sort of lead um, to have that in the bag and head back to London on Thursday morning or or late on Wednesday night, depending on when they're travelling, would be the dream. Um, And I think we're good enough to go and win there, but I don't think we're going to blow them out of the water. I think this is going to be a really tough tie. I think that we're coming up against a very talented side, but also a very raucous atmosphere and an environment that will be particularly hostile and one that some of our young players haven't faced on too many occasions. So that's my prediction. Porto one, Arsenal two. Uh, Let's get some of your predictions from the live chat as well. Uh, Damien says Porto nil. Arsenal 4, afsar has gone for a 1-1 draw. Ian agrees with me. 2-1, uh, very, very tight win. They will press us like a pack of wolves with pacey forwards. Uh, some of you saying that uh, Fabio Vieira could be back in the picture. He could be. And what a story that would be. Fabio Vieira returning to FC Porto where he did so well. And that's what prompted us to sign him. And When I went out to the drag out earlier this season and I was speaking to some of the, the, the people that work at the club, one of the things they were saying was that they, they're really pleased and, and happy to see that Fabio Vieira got that move. And they kept saying to me, watch this space because he's a top, top talent. I'd argue we haven't really seen it yet at Arsenal. We've seen it in glimpses and in flashes. Uh, but obviously this latest injury setback is really set him back, I think, because I think he'd have got a lot of game time in this period that we've been without, um, you know, uh, without Partey, without uh, Smith-Rowe as well. And, and I think he would have rotated quite a bit with Kai Havertz, actually. I'm not saying he'd have started every game, but I think he'd have come on a lot in games. He'd have um, been used on the right-hand side recently in the games where we've had the luxury of taking Bukayo Saka off um, nice and early. So, yeah. OK, um, what else have we got? Uh Kel Fala says uh, Arsenal will win by four goals. Uh, BX Gunner says two or three, one to the Arsenal. We've got a three, one Arsenal here from guitar solo. Um, Damien Kelly says uh, Porto ain't good. You lot are too generous. We must believe in the team. Porto ain't scoring against us. Could be famous last words. <laughs> right. I am going to leave it there. A big thank you uh, to every single one of you who's joined me uh, on this episode of the Chronicles uh, of Aguna live We've got Porto coming up in the Champions League and what a huge tie this is for Arsenal. Can they overcome that round of 16 hurdle? That was a problem for us for a good seven-odd year period. Can we go one step further and uh, at least go some way in booking our place in the last day? I know nothing will be decided on Wednesday, but we could go a long way if we go out there and we blow them out of the water if we go out there and we absolutely pump them come on you gunners safe trip to all the gunners making the trip out there uh, i know a few of you uh, making the trip and i hope you have a wonderful time i'm so so jealous but we will be back with a live episode reacting to the game at about 10 10:15 10, p.m on wednesday night so that's the pro of me not going i'll catch you all soon until the next time goodbye